0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know, everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening, enjoy the podcast, and stay safe. BlueWire. Alright, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Before we get to today's guest, quick note on today's episode and a little bit of housekeeping. If you're new to this podcast, typically each Monday, uh, breaking down a a sports movie. You know, what was realistic, what wasn't, what worked about the movie, what didn't. However, a while back, tweeted out about applying the same episode format to a non-sports movie, mostly just to keep things fresh, and so I had an excuse to, to watch other shit I like. I uh, decided to run with that for now. I think the plan is once a month gonna cover a non-sports movie. Starting off today with one of my favorites. It's an all-timer, and that thing you do, uh, Tom Hanks' directorial debut. Just the happiest damn movie. Uh, my guest was Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports. It's one of his favorites too. Made for a really good episode. Just two guys who absolutely love this movie, and the uh, I think the the normal episode format applied pretty well for it. Uh, the cool thing about that thing you do was recently, uh, last Friday, if you're listening to this, uh, the day it drops, the cast did a live watch of the movie on YouTube to raise money for the music cares COVID-19 relief fund. I think they pulled the video down. I'm hoping they'll put that back up. It was really cool. If you're a fan of the movie, you know, go check it out. They'll, they'll put it back up eventually. Um, but the link to donate is going to be in the show notes for anyone interested. Hope you guys enjoy our episode format being used for a non-sports movie. Let me know what you think. Holler at me on the socials at big underscore screen sport on Twitter because we still haven't gotten Twitter to suspend the at big screen sports account uh, or Instagram at big screen sports pod. Let me know what you think. Uh, Already have next month's non-sports movie decided. Got a great returning guest. If you've been uh, uh, if you listen to this podcast for a while, you'll you'll recognize this guy. You'll enjoy it. Uh, But let me know which movies you think would work well. Got a lot of love in the original poll for My Cousin Vinny. I love My Cousin Vinny. Definitely going to cover My Cousin Vinny. If you have a good guest for My Cousin Vinny, holler at me with it. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you're subscribed. Let me know what you think via a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And go check out some old episodes. They're pretty evergreen. I've covered, you know, north of 50 sports movies now. Uh, Check those out. You know, let me know what you think. Next week, going to have Dan Stupp from The Athletic. He, he's the, the head writer for The Athletic MMA, rounding out April with an episode on Warrior. But for now, it's time to talk That Thing You Do with Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, what is usually the sports movie podcast. But joining me today to change things up for our first non-sports episode, he is the host of Walk the Line from Barstool Sports, Brandon Walker. Brandon, thanks so much for taking the time today.
2: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I've uh, I've kind of been wanting to go on this podcast for a couple of months now and I'm excited to be part of this one that kind of deviates from the theme, but I I'm excited about it. I'm excited as
1: well. This is one of my favorite movies. Before we get going on it though, um let the folks know where they can follow you and what you're doing to keep people entertained during this no sports black hole that we're in. <laughs> yeah, going
2: with. my goodness. Um everything I can possibly do. So I'm uh, Brandon Walker Barstool BarstoolSports.com, I got a show every day at 4.15 with Marty Mush called Walk the Line. I have a college football podcast called Unnecessary Roughness that you can find wherever you find podcasts. I'm on the Barstool College Football Show. I'm on a serious show every day at noon to 2 called The Yak with Big Cat, Barstool's preeminent personality other than Dave Portnoy. And I just do a lot of content, man. I just do as much as I can. Today I blogged about my favorite PS2 sports game. So anything I can do to possibly offer any entertainment, I'm doing it.
1: This will be a little dated when when this episode finally drops, because we're recording this early April when you that P, the PS2 thing. In my opinion, the best PS2 sports game is MVP NCAA Baseball 06, which you found, which you blogged about.
2: I did. So I, I, my favorite is MVP Baseball 2005. Also I, a I, classic. I think that's the greatest baseball game ever made. The soundtrack, you can put it in your car right now and just have a good time. Um, MVP Baseball is is very good. It's the same engine. It's just you know I, I just don't get as much run from the college baseball aspect as I do professional baseball.
1: See, I love I love college baseball, but they're all good. Um, Although I you're... do
2: remember remember MVP baseball oh six. My team Mississippi State had the uh, their default home field was the one with the cornfield in the right field, and the fence was like two hundred and thirty feet away from home plate. It was always fun to just hit bombs into that uh, that farm field. Which is kind of the exact opposite of the actual situation over at Mississippi State right now. The exact opposite. It's the the biggest college baseball stadium in the country.
1: It's on my bucket list, but Brandon, you're you're a busy guy. I appreciate you taking the time. I mean, you literally just hopped off a live stream right before we did this, but you know, like I said, typically on this podcast we break down sports movies, you know, focusing on the sports content, what was realistic, what wasn't, you know, what we could have done to fix it and then just kind of what was enjoyable, not enjoyable about about the movie for my own sanity and because there's a lot of good movies out there without sports that I want to talk about. Gonna start dropping the uh, the occasional regular movie episode, starting with today's. We are talking about That Thing You Do, the 1996 comedy drama musical.
0: Guy Patterson didn't have a perfect job ah. or a perfect social life. What's going on down there? Cooking the books as usual, though. But what he did have oh. was perfect timing. How about sitting in for Chad just for tonight? Why? Just broke his arm. And in one night, that's too fast, guy. Slow down, guy. Slow down. Guy Patterson is going to take the wonders it's, it's all right. from garage. I Almost slugged some girl. She had her eye on my Jimmy. To greatness. Here's somebody I want you to meet. Mr. White is with Playtone Records. That thing you do, you know, is snappy. We'd like to release it. <laughs> and directed by Tom Hanks.
1: Look fabulous in the black suits. Have I told you that? Hi. Fabulous in the black suits. A local Pennsylvania band scores a one-hit wonder in 1964 and rides the star-making machinery as long as they can with lots of help from its manager. Star Tom Everett, Scott, Liv Tyler, Steve Zahn, and Tom Hanks. It was written and directed by Hanks. It was his directorial debut. Got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Grossed $34.5 million domestically. Brandon, you reached out about doing this movie when I when I put out the initial poll about what's the first regular movie I should do on this podcast. Why does this one stick out for you?
2: This is a top five movie in my life. It's one of my favorite movies. Whenever somebody says, hey, what's your favorite Tom Hanks movie? I always say, that thing you do. And they kind of look at me like, what? And it's just, to me, it's my favorite movie he's ever done. It was his directorial debut. I saw it in 96. I was 17 years old. I, I had a girlfriend at the time. I saw it in the theaters. And I just I just fell in love with it. And it's just... Imminently rewatchable. It you can drop into this movie, uh, an hour in, five minutes in, an hour and a half in, and it is watchable from that point. It is one of the most rewatchable movies I've ever seen. It is catchy. It keeps your attention. It's a beautifully shot movie. Back in you know like the period piece of the sixties. Everything about this movie is great to me. And when I when I saw when I caught Wind of Your Podcast a couple of months ago, and I looked back at all the episodes. I wanted to do a sports movie podcast, but you had already done a lot of the movies I would be involved in. A lot of the movies like Little Big League, Major League, stuff like that. But when you said you're going to do a non-sports movie, immediately that thing you do pops into my head. This
1: movie is just so like goddamn pleasant. It might it's be the so easiest watch of pleasant. any Hanks it, movie ever.
2: It just think. puts a smile on your face from seeing 1 and the smile never leaves. It's just it's like a it's just a good piece of nostalgia to plug yourself into no matter how old you are and just enjoy it
1: typically on on typical episodes i ask is it a hall of fame all-star starter or benchwarmer sports movie i was going to ask is this a hall of fame all-star starter or benchwarmer hanks movie i th- i I think from your reaction it's a hall of fame
2: hanks movie to me it, it's and i know a lot of people won't say this it's an absolute hall of fame hanks movie He is the director first and foremost, so he did a great job, but when he shows up about 35, maybe 40 minutes into the movie, the movie really takes off. He's a very good character here. I think two of my favorite Hanks movies are not really Hanks movies in the fact that he's not the star here. He's also not the star of A League of Their Own, but it's one of my favorite roles he's ever played, and that's kind of at play here too. Three of my favorite Hanks performances, just like how
1: good he is as a supporting character, which he, he really isn't often. If you're casting Tom Hanks in a movie, you're getting him to carry that movie from a lead role, but uh, League of Their Own, like you mentioned, this movie, That Thing You Do, and then Catch Me If You Can. He His character is second fiddle to DiCaprio, yeah. and he's incredible in all three. They're, they're three of my favorites. Do you have a top three favorite Hanks performances?
2: Yeah, so I know that it's a movie that people like look back on and think it's schmaltzy, and they think it's you know past eight and not like it. And everybody nowadays says it never should have won Best Picture, but I'm sorry, Tom Hanks forest Forrest Gump is just I'll never forget it. I, I think it's a great movie. I think it's a great performance. I think his rocks his rock solid yet nervous portrayal in uh, in Saving Private Ryan is perfect. Like he's the leader, but he he also has that shaky hand. I just love everything about what he does. In Saving Private Ryan, but again, I love this Hanks. And I think Jimmy Dugan in *A League of Their Own*, he played down on his luck, alcoholic baseball player, about as well as it's ever I can ever imagine it being played.
1: The I think the uh, we it covered *A League of Their Own*. I think it was like episode three of this one. But one of the things that stood out to me that was so authentic about Hanks in that movie, and with this podcast, really put a put a premium on things feeling authentic is that he even he took a big wad of chew in that movie authentic you think of Brad Pitt and Moneyball I've never seen someone so uncomfortable with a dip in their mouth Hanks it was it was like that perfect casual it's just hanging out in his lip and he's not even 100% sure it's in there and I think that exemplifies that role of how authentic he felt as an as an old down on his luck coach I mean I mean he's good in everything I can't think of a time where I'm like I'm, Hanks was Hanks wasn't very good um, although I have not seen Larry Crown, so I, I'll re- reserve the right on that one. I but, share uh,
2: that. I've never seen that. Um, but yeah, Hanks is just Hanks. I mean, he's one of the greatest living actors. He's one of the biggest stars in the history of Hollywood for a reason. He's just fucking good.
1: He's f- fantastic. And, and I mean, and the, the fact that this is a, a written and directed by Hanks movie is is great. Let's go into the IMDb trivia. I just try to pull a few things. This one has a long IMDb page. It's a, it's a good read. Uh, first and foremost, there's a longer extended cut that's out there. It's available to rent on Prime. You can go check that out. It's about two and a half hours. Um, we are covering the the normal, the the regular hour and 47-minute version. But there, it's it's got some extension. Uh, Hanks' character is actually gay, and his yeah. boyfriend is played by
2: Howie Long. I, I just trip. think, I, when I found that out, when I watched the extended, when it came out in Walmart, I immediately bought the extended. When I saw that not only was Hanks gay, that wasn't the big thing to me, Howie Long was in this movie. Like, Howie Long, when he was just trying to break into acting, remember he was in Broken Arrow in in 96 or 97, and then he was in this movie. They took him out. He's not in the theatrical release. Howie Long being in this movie would have been great.
1: It could have been a game changer for Howie Long's career if he had made it to the theater.
2: Yeah, because he and, and that's when Howie Long is crucial to finding out that Tom Hanks' character is gay. We never find out his first name, but in that extended cut, it is you know implied that, and they never say it, but it's implied that he is he and Howie Long are, are going on a date.
1: Mm-hmm. Even though he has a a quick a a quick nod and a glance with Rita Wilson, his his actual wife, in that uh, in that extended version as well.
2: Yes, he does. Um,
1: the the extended version, well worth checking out. Uh, th- this from the IMDb trivia is, I think, the best move Hank's made for this movie. The four actors playing the Wonders rehearsed as a band for eight weeks to get the feel of performing, but most of their performances in the film were dubbed by other musicians. But he basically had them learning how to be a band before they made the movie, which I think comes out. I think that it was a perfect call.
2: No, they ab- they look like a band. Uh, it's Lenny, later on, when he's playing the guitar and he's doing the lead singing, the, the way they approach the mic, the way they just kind of share glances with each other while on stage. They look like a group that has played music together. And that, you know, I know this is a sports movie podcast, so the one thing you immediately look for in sports, can the actors look like they're playing sports? And the same principle is applied here. Can they look like they're playing music? And they do.
1: On a typical episode, we have the, the Kevin Costner and Freddie Prince Jr. Awards for Best and Worst On-Screen Athlete. And I think every one of these guys would get like a Kevin Costner Award for, for Best Musician. There's, there's a lot of uh, Beatles parallels in this one. I didn't. It's, it's long in the IMDb trivia, I didn't go into them, but one of them is the stances that they take are similar to stances of the Beatles. Um, you know, the name of the Wonders is a play on words, um, but Hanks was clearly influenced by the Beatles writing this movie. Um, Adam Schlesinger The, the bassist of Fountains of Wayne He penned the title song in response to a contest Being held by the studio Their song won, being used in the movie The movie was released shortly after their first album um, Schlesinger unfortunately just recently Passed away due yeah. to coronavirus You know, Extremely sad uh, but this this song and a lot of his music lives on. Well I'm um, we're we're gonna talk about the song.
3: Oh
2: the song's um, phenomenal.
1: it's so good. Uh Hanks named his production company Playtone after the fictional record label in the movie. Playtone went on to produce Band of Brothers in the Pacific, two of the best TV miniseries of all time.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean what what can you say, Tom Hanks? Whatever he touches, it's gold. Absolutely. Um,
1: the instruments the Wonders were playing before becoming successful, well, like when they're in the garage, are common budget instruments in 1964. Lenny plays a silver tone guitar sold by Sears, and T- And the bass player plays a Dan Electro bass, which I think sorry. is just...
2: His name is TB Player, sir.
1: TB, TB Player. My mistake. TB Player. Uh, it's just another thing that Hanks put the work into feeling authentic. It really comes out in this movie.
2: Well, just the, I mean, I wasn't alive in 1964, but this movie makes me feel like I was. Uh, Everything about Erie, Pennsylvania, the the small town Main Street, and right down to the garages they're in, right down to the restaurants they eat in, right down to the, uh, the appliance store. Everything feels very, very authentic and very good, so it doesn't surprise me that Hanks kind of micromanaged the, the instruments down to the point where they were making sure they didn't get just 1964 instruments, but they got 1964 instruments that these kids could afford. It,
1: I mean, it, you, you wouldn't expect anything less from Hanks, honestly. Like the, the fact that this movie is that well done and there's that much focus and in, into being authentic. I think it, you know, I think it comes out. Let's roll into best scene. Uh, there's a lot in this movie. I feel like there, there's not really any dead space in this movie.
2: No, I, I I think it's a. And it's not a very. It's not a bloated movie at all either. It 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 kind of says what it's going to say and gets on out of there. What you said, an hour and forty seven minutes. So I don't think mm-hmm. there's any bloat here.
1: Yeah, the first one I've got is uh, is the talent show where you see Jimmy's kind of lame ass song become a hit in front of your eyes. I love the talent show scene.
2: Yeah, the Mercyhurst College talent show. I I I, I love that scene. It, it, it's uh, it, it starts laying the. It even starts laying the foundation of Guy and Faye right there, which we'll get to later, I'm sure. But because Guy's girlfriend, Tina, is just a complete drag. And immediately, you want to see a lot less of her. But Guy taking that stage, and the second they, they start to sing, and he, you know, he hits those drums way too fast, Jimmy freaks out, but Lenny, Lenny, who's kind of the backbone of the whole operation, tells him, no, it's okay, this is awesome, let's go. And slowly but surely, you see kids... Wait, this sucks. No, it doesn't. Let's hit the dance floor and and they're off and running.
1: It makes me smile every time I watch it. And
2: guy, guys, guys, look when he's playing this song. When you can tell he's not trying to show up anybody. He just gets lost in the moment and the music. And he's got the musical wherewithal to know where this should go. And Jimmy, who we kind of spend the whole the whole movie praising his talent, does can't really see it. And it's just it lays. It lays a lot of basic foundations for the movie, while also remaining just a fun scene to watch. I love
1: that on the ride home, when guys guys just jabber on to his girlfriend, and like she doesn't care, but he's basically saying that the song isn't a ballad; it's upbeat, and he did yeah. that intentionally. I I love that they they add that in. The next scene I've got is signing the management contract in in Phil's camper. It's another one of those milestones you see the band hit, those, like, checkpoints of success. Are you going in chronological order? Going in chronological order.
2: Okay, I think you've... No, no, okay, you're right. You haven't skipped it. Definitely, you're going to get to it. But I do think you skipped one that I would like to bring up right now. Yeah, bring it up. I I think the the paying gig at Villapianos and watching them go from kind of Villapianos being sleepy and empty. They do two gigs. The first one... Um, not a lot of people there. And the second one packed out, everybody's there. There's girls wanting to talk to the band and kind of a precursor to what's coming.
1: Yeah, that, that is a good one. Uh, because they have the, the number one fan is there, that guy from the talent show.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. And that's where the actual guy from the talent show is there. And that's where, uh, the manager who's about to come in, Phil Horace comes and sees him for the first time.
1: Mm -hmm. the signing the contract in phil's camper it might not be my favorite scene it's got one of my favorite quotes though which we'll get into the next scene i've got is is it's like the i think it's the happiest scene it's when the song comes on the radio from the second you see Liv tyler's face as she's licking that stamp it is it's incredible
2: i think it's probably the the scene of the movie um She's walking down the road. She, she, she realizes it. She's got the ear, ears in, and she hears it, and she her face is great. She runs. She finds TV player. His face is great. They go. They get guy, and just one by one, you watch these kids' dreams come true, and every single emotion is It's just, I'd say it's three and a half, four minutes, and it's just, it's like you put a smile to film, and that's what it was. Here's something new.
0: A local Erie fans has got a new record out. Just won the Mercy talent show a couple of weeks ago. This is Erie's own
2: home.
0: Oh oh
1: oh 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 it's it's an iconic scene for this movie. It's if the just movie had, fantastic. I, I
2: don't think the if the movie had been like a gigantic hit, this would be a scene that's up there with any in movie history. It didn't become a big hit. I think it got more popular later uh, as, you know, imp- kind of a nostalgia looking back, but it's not a big hit movie. But if it was a big hit, this is the scene that everybody would remember.
1: I don't understand why this movie isn't on like TBS all the time, because you don't lose a lot. You wouldn't have a lot censored. It's like when Super Bad is on FX, it makes no sense. You lose half the movie. This movie is like the perfect cable rewatch. I don't get why it's not like why it hasn't had that second life. Yeah, because it's aged really well too.
2: That's a very very good question. I I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I think this is the perfect and I they do show it on the premium movie channels a lot, which is where I catch it. But you're right, it's not on basic cable, and it, and it should be perfect for it.
1: Yeah, you think it, it would give it the second life? No, you got
2: two hours to fill on a random Tuesday night. TBS put it on, and it's going to be entertaining. And I'm throwing that shit on right away. Yeah, if I see it. No matter where it's at, this is my ultimate stopping and watching movie. Whatever I'm doing,
1: and I'll sit through commercials for it. Like you bet, it. It just. I. It, I wish it would come on more. Um, my next scene is when they, when Phil takes Guy to meet Mr. White at the Chinese place, and yeah. that's just because Hanks. Right away, he's smooth. He's smart. He sells, but he doesn't oversell playtone. Yeah, which is really good. And that scene kind of. It, it's twofold. It kind of transitions right into him prepping the band after signing and that you can start feeling the band and the movie's pace really quickening he has like the the line like the nice suits cuz you're nice boys and he, and then he gives guy the shades yeah
2: so this is where the movie goes from small time to big time this is where they go from from you know just hoping to play some music on the weekends to now they're being they're on the fast track to stardom tom hanks is key to that and you're right the second you see tom hanks you know the movie's gotten or the 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 rise of the wonders has gotten serious, and it's about to take off. And they transition into that dressing room. He lays out the law, so immediately you know, all right, this guy is the boss from now on. Now we got a movie.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't take long to get there either. Doesn't, doesn't take, take long. The long at rise all, no. of the wonders
2: doesn't take long at all.
1: Then flash forward to guys' night at the Blue Spot. He's like he's too naive, but he's also just comfortable in his own skin, just not to be embarrassed about nerding out in front of his idol. And he's yeah. just, he's just like drunk as shit. It's like if I ran into Joe Maurer at a bar, I'd be in shock. And Guy is just rolling with it, just not a care in the world about embarrassing himself. So
2: his his hero is Del Paxton. Guy is Guy is not a rock and roll guy, he's a jazz guy. And he's in a rock and roll band, but he what he dreams most of doing is is playing jazz, playing jazz with with Del Paxton, who's his hero, he goes to a jazz club. Which um, I know we got a character later. We'll have a category about who the best bit part players were, and I've got three of those. And Dell Paxton is one of them. Dell Paxton's great, and guy goes to this club, and he does. He acts like he's starstruck, but he is able to get some wisdom out of the man. It's it's it it's really a it's kind of a it's a it's a scene with more layers than you think, because it lays out the rest of the movie
1: and it's part of what it's part of what goes into why guy is such a likable character like the fact that he he navigates that scene it's not like he's navigating because he's not he's clearly not very conscious of what he's doing is just straight up nerding out but you just enjoy how naive and earnest he is and just genuine he's a very genuine character Guy has also missed out on a lot of action in his life because multiple women are really into him during the movie and he just barely notices.
2: No, because he's all about he's just all about the craft and he's he's focused on music. But this is um, you know, guy is called the smart one throughout the movie. Horace calls him that, White calls him that. Uh, but this scene is key because he gains a lot of wisdom in that five minutes that you see him talking to Del Paxton, which he applies later on. Mm-hmm. This one this rolls into
1: next scene I have is the Hollywood TV showcase performance. The yeah. custom stage, it's the full song at its peak, it's at its best. You've got the TV background stuff, guys family screaming. It's the, it's the culmination of the band. It's I mean it, it ends up being their high point and it's also it's kind of like the uh when the song comes on the radio. It's just very fun to watch aside from when Jimmy freaks out after.
2: Yeah, no, it is and it's uh it's clearly an homage to the Ed Sullivan shows of the past, shows like that. It's well done. I like the fact that they don't just show you the performance. They show you the other acts in the show to, to kind of nail in the fact that this is appointment viewing for people across the country. Uh, you got the, uh, the astronaut, Gus Grissom, who's played by Brian Cranston very early in his career. You've got um, everything. You got everything leading up to that moment. I think you got a guy spinning plates and doing a little magic trick. And then they lead up to the wonders, and they even take you behind the scenes to show you the production company going through and do it, setting up the shots. It's just a, a brilliant scene. Super's coming up. It's time for America to meet the wonders. Let's make them look good. And go.
3: Leo, there's a good looking kid. And go. Wolfman, too scary. Go. Chase at a baby go jimmy careful girls he's engaged congratulations jimmy
1: and then my final my final nominee for best scene is the scene where jimmy quits and it's not because it's jimmy quitting it's hanks's character basically finally saying without saying to jimmy i don't like you i think you're a shithead now you do what i say or walk he's he's fed up with him for sure especially after watching what he did to Faye. He's not putting up with Jimmy's, I'm a talented artist, I'm gonna be difficult shit.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's where the band falls apart and it's where it's also where um Tom Hanks kind of gives his blessing to Guy and says, you know what, you're the smart one. And he leaves him in the studio and that's key. Because leaving him in the studio kind of sets him up for kind of the rest of his life. Because Dale Paxton walks in, Del tells him, Hey, I think you're I think you're talented at this and he ends up you know, later we find out what he does with his life and, and gets into music, but it's just a, it's, it's another good scene. I don't, I always find myself uncomfortable when Jimmy quits. Cause I'm, even though I've seen it a thousand times, I always fall in love with the wonders again. And when they break up, it, there's just like a tinge of sadness to it.
1: It's a bummer. I feel sad for the, uh, I feel sad for everyone except Jimmy, because that's going to be the peak of it's going to be the, and you find out it is the career peak for Guy and Lenny. Guy ends up, Guy clearly ends up happy. He does good things with his life. It's the career peak, but I don't think it's the life peak for Guy. But yeah, it's probably the life peak for the others. It's definitely the life peak for Lenny.
2: Yeah. Lenny,
1: Lenny has, a, Lenny has a ups and downs for the rest of his life. You know that for sure. Uh, Brandon, for you, what is, what's the best scene in this movie?
2: So I'm gonna I I just I got one I want to fill in that I think you kind of skipped over a little bit. Yeah, fill it in. So it's not a scene per se. se, So maybe you have a rule about this, but the montage of when they get on the Playtone tour, uh, they get on the Playtone Galaxy of Stars, and it starts. uh, It's just a montage where they go across the country and they go. You see them escalating from bigger crowd to bigger crowd to bigger crowd. There's even a song that Lenny sings in there that's fantastic. Come over and dance with me tonight. But that montage really shows their quick rise, and it culminates in the scene I'm talking about, which is in Wisconsin, they're wearing gold suits, they're now the final act of the show, they're the biggest star on the show, Kids, uh, girls are going crazy, and I think that's the best scene of, uh, well, that's the scene that, that you didn't say that probably should have been said. When they, uh,
1: when Mister White lets them know that they're heading out to the West Coast, that yeah. that is a really good one. I I now regret skipping over that one. Yeah, well, When he runs them the, up the stairs
2: from the intro from the intro of Freddie Frederickson who who says, uh, "Look out, Wisconsin!" It's the wonder, and people go nuts, and that is their that's their made it moment. They have made it. They're the biggest star on the show, and it ends with them finding out they've got the number seven record in the country and they're winging their way to California. I, I think that's a phenomenal scene from start to finish. Would you say that's the best scene? No, I think the best scene is probably... It's either the Hollywood te- Television Showcase, but no, I think the best scene is finding out there on the radio. It's It starts with Liv Tyler. She's sending a, 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 mail, a piece of mail. She's licking the stamp. She hears it, and from then to when he says, I am Spartacus in that store... That's the best scene because it just captures it captures what the movie gives you, which is a great feeling. It's just it's just joy. It's pure joy for four minutes.
1: This movie has a lot of good scenes, but that one about them finding out on the radio, that's the only one I've gone back and rewatched just that on YouTube. I, I will watch that sometimes just to feel happy.
2: I, I've got a lot of scenes. I, I, I like to get on uh, YouTube rabbit holes with this movie and just go down and see where it takes me. It's, I mean, it's, it's perfect for
1: that. Um, let's take a quick break here from our sponsors and we will get back with the best quote. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by Favor Apple Cider Vinegar Shots. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. And I think we all right now could use anything that makes us a healthier you. Uh, Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. That's D-R-I-N-K, letter A dot com. now back to the episode okay and we're back with with best quote um and in this one caveat pretty much everything out of steve zahn's mouth in this movie could could qualify for best quote he's he's thrown 100 in this one
2: yeah he's, no, he's great. given the best lines and he, he delivers in spades he's fantastic
1: and a lot of them is improv. Like, you, you go back to that uh, that scene where he's playing Go Fish with the old guys. Yeah. That's just, like, it's straight-up Zon improv. I'm sure they had a bunch of shots
2: like that. Gotta be quick with me.
1: I'm from Erie, PA. He's great. He's great. Um, first quote, and this one is from the, the fan from the talent show. We came here to meet girls and dance, and we can't meet girls until we dance, which basically explains dating in the 60s. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that one.
2: That, um... That actor, I just this is a he might have six five or six lines in this movie. He really helps set the tone for this movie. He's really his his eagerness and his he's very good with this. He had a very bit part, but he nailed it. He's ribbing the
1: uh, the talent show host. Yeah, right at right at the stage, right. which is really funny. Yeah, um, this next one might be my favorite Zon line. Uh, Are you crazy? A man in a really nice camper wants to put our song in the radio. Give me a pen. I'm signing. Right
2: you're signing we're all signing. Yep, it, that that's a good one. But like you said, Zon's got 20 lines here that could apply. But I I love cuz that's another Jimmy's like I'm hesitant to sign something that has something to do with my music. And they're all the other ones are like, "Shut the fuck up, dude." We're, exactly. We're signing. Come on, what are you, are you serious?
1: And Zon's the perfect comic relief in that moment. Zon is also who utters the line as in, "I wonder what happened to the Wonders." The Oniters yeah the Oneeders. Yeah, yeah, I wonder what happened to the Oneters.
2: Yeah, that's uh, he's he has a lot of good lines about the Oneters.
1: Um, this this Hanks one, which is when they're on the plane. Lenny, why don't you see if you can go visit the cockpit? Tell him it's your birthday.
0: Any questions? Don't ask. I'm tired of talking to you and I want to sleep. Lenny, give me that paper. Give me the paper. Lenny, why don't you go and see if you can visit the cockpit? Tell him it's your birthday. Go, go, go.
2: Yep, that's a good one.
1: Uh, Saul Seiler, the like the, the head of Playtone, talking about how big the wonders were, caused the worst riot in Texas since Oswald got shot.
2: That's a great... And, and if you think about that, he said that line in 1964. Like, o- right after. Oswald got shot, what, first five months earlier six months earlier so that's, <laughs> it's even funnier in that context He he
1: he's not one to uh, nothing's too soon for Saul song
2: no no he was the original he was a shock jock
1: I've got two more uh, right. Zahn again uh, there he goes off to his room to write that hit song Alone in My Principles yep and then uh, this one from I don't know it's this one from Mr. White I just felt weird not including it
0: well maybe for you but I was in a band and we still have a hit record yeah, you
1: do. One hit wonders. It's a very common tale. Because it basically, it's the movie.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that this this is not this is a very relivable movie. It's not a movie that has a lot of quotes that just stand out on their own. I was finding that when I was doing my
1: rewatch, I was I was taking but able to take a lot of notes on. Just like the vibes of the movie and the scenes and actions, but the the quotes themselves
2: weren't like weren't there. I got I got three and uh, they're all from kind of bit players. Um, Dell when he says, "Ain't no way to keep a band together. Bands come, bands go," and that kind of sets uh, the tone for the back half of the movie. Uh, I li- I love when Lamar tests guy on jazz and j- uh, guys like, "Hey Lamar, where's any good? You know of any good jazz clubs?" So he asks him a question and Guy answers it correctly. And the way Lamar says, get in the cab, get in the cab. I just love that. I've got a
1: lot of love for Lamar in this movie.
2: I I, I do too. And there's one more, which is another but The bit players here just, just crushed it. The dad, uh, Guy Patterson's dad, when he is, <laughs> he's reading the newspaper to find out what Telemart's up to. And he goes through the list and he says, uh, 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 shoe shine, shoe polishing kit. People can't take out their shoes, uh, they can't polish their shoes or something. And then he says,
3: Open on Sunday from 12 to 6. Nice you know, I don't believe I want to live in a country where you have to stay open on Sunday to do business. You shouldn't have to work on Sunday to support a family, should you? Mm-hmm. 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 Let's put that paper away.
0: Let's just take that Yeah, right now.
3: let's get it out of
2: here. I just love everything about that scene.
1: I don't want to step on the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award too early, but Guy's dad, Guy's dad gets about five pitches thrown to him in this movie, yeah. and he hits all of them into the upper deck.
2: I have, I, I. That's the award you had where I focused on the most. I got four candidates for that.
1: Yeah, I mean that one's it's it's the strength of this movie is the the supporting every role. It. There's so many above replacement level actors. No yeah. part is thrown away. You have Brian Cranston in a throwaway.
2: A throwaway. Yeah. Every everybody who's asked to to carry the baton for even a second sprints with it. And it's incredible.
1: You get Kevin Pollack for one scene, Boss Clint Vic Howard Coast, yeah. for one scene.
2: It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 just and that's probably because even back then Kevin Pollack was one of those guys that where you know he adds to a movie even if it's not a big role. That's probably the strength of Hanks, right? Hanks knew who to get.
1: Yeah, it's both a, a the people. Res- it's a it's a combined thing of Hanks knew who to get, and these actors would do this for Hanks.
2: Right. Yeah, it, it was it's it a was, combined power thing. Yeah, his, he filled out his roster as well as I've ever seen a movie filled out. It's
1: fantastic. He even has a very young Colin Hanks escorting Faye into the TV well, show. He has his daughter in there too. Yeah, I, I I saw that. I didn't I didn't go back and pick out where she was.
2: She's not memorable. Colin has a you see his face. I don't know that you see her face, but she's definitely in there.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, lucky. For, yeah, lucky for him, he's got a talented family because Rita Wilson go. You know, she yeah. she's got a real role. Um, for you, what's what's the best quote you
2: think? I I I go back to Guy's dad, and Guy's dad is the probably the first outside of Lenny the first comic relief in the movie, and every. That that when he's reading the newspaper, if I'm anywhere near that scene, I make sure I don't move so I can hear him say, Let, "Let's put that away." Yeah, why don't we go ahead and put that away? I just I just love it. I, I that's my favorite. It's not a memorable quote, but it's it's just perfect for this movie.
1: Guy's dad is just he's big dad energy. But I, sure.
2: I another Lenny one is, uh, "Oh, I'm not here with these fellows. I got a pigging competition over at the livestock pavilion," and that's a good one.
1: Uh, when he's on the radio and he says is the Captain, the band he was influenced by is Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack shooters. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Steve Zahn was, was uh was on point.
1: Zahn was fantastic. I have to go with I wonder what happened to the O'Neaters. Uh but I mean there's a there's a lot of it, Everything that Zahn, Zahn, and and Guy's dad, both of them, everything they say is great. Yeah. Um, let's get into the the most and least authentic aspects of the movie. Because um, typically this is, I think this is easier in a sports movie because, you know, you like, you know, Tim Robbins can't throw the ball well in Boulder. Right. Um, but even in a sports movie, I, I, I was, when I was first, d- you know, deciding do, to do a non-sports movie was deciding if I'm going to keep this or not. We want to feel things that are authentic and realistic. It's how we connect with the movie, even unless it's like an absolute spoof. I think some feeling of authenticity is just necessary for a movie to to hit right. And you know, authenticity isn't as clear in a non sports movie, but I, I think there's definitely stuff to pick from in this one. What did you have as the most authentic part? And I think we might have touched on it a little bit.
2: So I don't know, just the the atmosphere they captured in 1964. I I think. Uh, again, I wasn't alive, but the they they're able to give you an authentic slice of small town USA, which was when they're in Erie. Then they move up to Pittsburgh a little bit. You got a bigger house. Just the, the the auditorium there feels right. Feels exactly like it would be. And then you end the movie on the West Coast, and you got sunshine. You got bright lights. You got an asshole uh, ra- producer or an asshole president of the of the company. I just think everything they did atmospherically worked i don't i can't think in the ed sullivan show uh send up i think everything they did atmospherically worked a hundred percent
1: that's that's what i had to the band felt like an upstart 60s band that started in a garage uh they moved like a band they felt like a band hanks we we talked about it with the trivia hanks put the effort in that you know making them learn how to be a band before they actually started film the movie it led to really tight chemistry it was the right move i feel like this movie needed three things to feel really authentic the band needed to feel like a band. Guy needs to be both cool as fuck and likable. Yeah. And the song needs to feel like a hit. And in that, at point number three, it like knocked it out of the park.
2: I think that's the biggest thing. If the song suck, the movie sucks. Period.
1: Absolutely. Because yeah, they play you the can't...
2: song, I'm just guessing, I don't know, 20, 25 times. And you hear I, it...
1: I, You hear it in bits and pieces at least eight times. You yeah. hear it in full twice technically it's like it's like two and a half times the the song on the radio when it's on the radio they kind of cut it off a little bit yeah but you hear it in full about three times
2: so you hear it in full at the mercyhurst uh, talent show right
1: you hear the, the first rough version
2: and then you hear it you hear it on the radio and the best time you hear it is the hollywood television showcase
1: it gets better the more you hear it and like that song is still saved on my spotify
2: Oh, it's great. I have the whole I not just that song I want to point this out that thing you do is a phenomenal song and if it didn't work the movie doesn't work but it does work it's great but not just their song the the songs of other that other people sang in this movie they took such great care to make sure everything fit everybody like Freddie Frederickson's song Mr. downtown that's a phenomenal song I Hanks I love, wrote that song yeah Hanks wrote that song I think he also wrote uh, loving you Lots and Lots which opens the movie.
1: Yeah, he did. He wrote that. He wrote uh the Hold My Hand, Hold My Heart. I think it was the Yeah. Was that the Diane That's Dane a song? Chantillines. That's Chantelines song. Yeah, Chantelines, yeah. That, that uh T V player was into.
2: Yeah, Diane Diane Dane had a song. It was just everybody who had to do music looked like they were doing music. It sounded good. It was just I, I think they nailed the music. That's probably the best thing that holds up. That's the most authentic thing. The music, which is the heart of the movie, was perfect. I think so too. I agree.
1: I have something for least. I'm not sure Jimmy would have the friends to be in the band. I can't recall a single moment where he seems pleasant at all to be around. So I have thought
2: about this a lot. I do think I do think Jimmy and Lenny probably were opposites attract friends. Okay. And if you remember, the bass player is just we he's just like a guy. I can see him just kind of sticking on the outskirts of this friend relationship. Guy wasn't a friend. Lenny Lenny kind of went and got Guy. You could tell that Lenny was the recruiter to go get Guy. It was Lenny's idea, and Lenny's kind of the guy that always talked to him. So I think Lenny is the the heartbeat of the whole thing, whereas you don't need people to be friends with Jimmy. You need them to be friends with Lenny. That's a fair point. That's a very
1: fair point. Did you have anything for least authentic? Was there anything you could pick out?
2: I I, I really, really don't. I just... When it comes to time to criticize this movie, I like I want to think... I I don't know that that Mr. White's character was fleshed out as much as he could have been. I would have liked the Howie Long scene in there, but now I'm just talking about deleted scenes and that I want more of the movie. I don't see anything that's all that inauthentic other than maybe maybe the Faye-Jimmy relationship. I, I feel like maybe she takes too much shit for the majority of the movie. I've got a
1: little bit about that down the road to talk about, okay. the, whole, the whole Faye Jimmy thing. But I think with the best movies, when you get to picking most and least authentic and then picking you know, down the road what didn't work, for the best movies, it's all nitpicky. There's not something that jumps out. No. Uh, but la- last week's episode covered Warrior. It was the same thing. Everything was, r- if you had to pick out something, it was pretty nitpicky.
2: No, I-, I agree. I would I would be picking the smallest nits possible to try to think of something I- I- that didn't work for me in this movie.
1: Well, let's go into what, the, what did work. And there's a lot. I think it starts, we, we just said, I just want to put a little more praise on it with the song. It was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Oscar. You hear it, the entire movie, it gets better and better. It's, perfect and like you said if the song doesn't work this movie doesn't
2: work but it could not be better uh you can play it right now and it just feels it's it's just good it's catchy it's it's short it's light but it's heavy i mean everything about the song is good they they you said his name i know he died last week Uh, schlesinger i believe adam schlesinger yeah he wrote the perfect song for for this movie for this piece it, it is absolutely pitch perfect
1: could not be better. What a, else did you, you have? And, that- listen,
2: it's not just a good song. It's a good song from 1964. You could picture yourself listening to an oldies station, a 60s st- station. This song comes on, and it's not out of place whatsoever.
1: Absolutely. And it, it, the, it's, still, it's, it's aged really well. It's still really good. Like, I still listen to this song all the time.
2: Yeah. yeah it's I great.
1: What else did you have that worked about this one?
2: Well, I think we've kind of covered a lot of it. I, I think all the I think all the uh, ancillary players were perfect. I, I, I think they lift this thing because even if let's be honest, TB player is is he's kind of just there. He, he's he's, he's kind of just there. Now he has a couple of interesting story arcs where where he get hooked up with the Marines, but he's just there. Lenny provides the the laughter and he provides the good the good mood. Jimmy is, is an asshole. Guy is, is just likable. But the extra players cr- round this movie out to where it's a, a pleasant and perfect world for this band to exist in. I agree. It's
1: the, the cast is just fantastic. It starts with Tom Everett Scott as, as Guy. Every band needs the cool guy. Guy is very cool. One of the coolest things about Guy is he has no idea how cool he is. Which is inherently cool.
2: I also think they nailed Jimmy because Jimmy. I mean, that's a good looking guy. <laughs> that's a uh, Jimmy,
1: perfectly unlikable. That probably explains the Fay thing. Jimmy is is talented. He is the talent, as Mister White says. Yeah, and th- he's he's good looking. So that, that a, might mean, explain Fay.
2: If you're watching the band and you don't know their personalities, your eyes go to Jimmy. It's just a beautiful man. You know, he's a he's a dickhead, but he was cast very very well. And yeah, they just the cast. You're right. The yeah that was that was
1: jonathan jonathan check is jimmy uh zon for me i think he's the mvp he's like killer in these side gigs he goes this they're saving silverman sahara strange wilderness every role in this movie is just someone above average
2: i i do it does surprise me when i look back that none of these four guys went on to become big stars
1: I have a note that says I don't understand why Tom Everett Scott, who played Guy, wasn't bigger. This is his best his best role. I went back and looked at the IMDb. This is the peak.
2: Yeah, no, I think him and Sha- uh, Shake or Shaq, however you say it, I-, I thought him and both of those guys were going to be big stars. I think you know a, a alternate timeline could see Steve Zahn become a, a big time comedy actor with no problem. It didn't really happen. And
1: they've all been steadily working. It's not as though they left Hollywood. It's just they haven't reached a, uh, you know, that kind of elite level, which is which is surprising. No, I was. They're Liv all. Tyler, Liv they're Tyler all really probably
2: good. got the biggest, right?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. Liv Tyler. Well, Unless actually, Brian Cranston. Well, there there are two Oscar winners and one Emmy winner in this in this movie. It's Hanks, Charlize, and Brian Cranston.
2: Uh I always forget that Charlize there on. Is
1: her first role?
2: Yeah, I always forget that. Like, like, yeah, she's a huge, she is a big star. That's right.
1: Yeah, um, you you mentioned so Faye and Jimmy. It's obvious from the get go that Faye is way too damn good for her. You're rooting for her and Guy really early on. Yeah, but it, it's not something that goes in the the not work category for me because I think everyone in the world has witnessed a relationship like this where one person thinks way too highly of the other, makes excuses for why that person sucks, and everyone knows that that person just deserves way better.
2: No, and it's, uh, I think that's one of the best parts of the Mr. White character. He, he kind of stands in for us, and he recognizes it. He—he, he, you know, Even before there's noticeable trouble between Faye and Jimmy, he's asking Faye, so what about Guy there? Who thinks he's special? And you can tell he's kind of, he's kind of rooting for it to go in that direction himself.
1: Mm-hmm. and it's good that Jimmy has that full villain turn after the show like he's legitimately that's one of the most horrible things I've ever seen someone do I mean legitimately terrible person
2: Yeah. And the, the things
1: he says to her
2: what should be the highlight of both of their lives he, he dresses her down he, in front of everybody he I mean just basically treats her like shit in front of everybody and this is seconds after they were on national TV should be a celebratory mood everybody's trying to be happy and he's ruining her life
0: I have wasted thousands and thousands of kisses on you. Kisses that I thought were special because of your your lips and your smile and all your color and life. I used to think that was the real you when you smiled. But now I know that you don't mean any of it. You just save it for all your songs. Shame on me for kissing you with my eyes closed so tight.
3: Should have dumped you in Pittsburgh.
0: Which one of you butt said we're engaged? Same person who said you had class, Jimmy.
1: And if he doesn't do that, though, if it is not rock bottom, like if he even gives her a hint of maybe there was some love there, or maybe there's some redemption she there. She sticks through it. it. Exactly. And it doesn't feel as good when her and Guy get together. It's Jimmy's just fucking despicable. And even right before that, Guy tells her how gorgeous she looks. And it's like, hey,
2: this guy is awesome. Yeah. And, and before that, before the show, they're getting ready. And I think Lenny's looking in the mirror and Jimmy's combing his hair and Guy says, hey, what about Faye? What, she, I'm talking to Mr. White. Is she taken care of? And Mr. White's like, yeah, I, I got her taken care of.
1: And Guy's the one who, uh, who saves, saves her, in her from being left.
2: Yeah. They were getting in the car, in the police car, and a, a huge crowd was there, and the, the, the cop lets four of them, lets the band get in and stops her because he thinks she's part of the crowd, and Guy goes and saves her. Guy just Guy and Faye, just the couple we all needed.
1: Um, th- this movie just did a lot a lot right did you have anything that that didn't work for this one
2: it's it's really i think the breakup comes maybe a little too fast i i I think maybe you've got it's an hour and 47 minute movie they go from the hollywood television show cut case to broken up in maybe three minutes it's not long at all i feel like they could have maybe eased us down that mountain a little bit a little bit more
1: Yeah, they go nuclear bomb instead of, like, long gradual war between them. Because there's, you can tell Jimmy isn't into it at all from very early on, but you don't know Faye. Faye is not until right after the TV show. She's all in. Yep. Like, the day before that, she's making excuses for Jimmy being a piece of shit while they're all having dinner together.
2: Yeah, so there's that. And then they go right from their breakup right to the band's breakup. Mm Mm-hmm. Just immediate, so it's it's not. They don't really give you any time to decompress. They just kind of, all right, here's the peak, and we're diving out an airplane. It's over. So I've got
1: another question for you about Jimmy. In, in the the in the credits, it says Jimmy made a couple gold records for Playtone. Do you think Jimmy would have actually had musical success out of it? He seemed very unwilling to jump through the hoops needed. He'd be completely disliked at Playtone as well. Like Mr. White wouldn't vouch for him. He thinks not only like is Jimmy frustrating to work with Mr. White has seen him at his absolute worst as a human being.
2: I, I, I disagree with that. I, I, I think, I think the record producer feels like one of those jobs where you can be an asshole because it is implied and, and, and even praised throughout the movie that he does have talent, that he is a very talented guy. Mr. White calls him the talent. Uh, everybody else says he's the talent of the band. So he does have musical chops and he does kind of know what he's doing He's just got such a rough exterior that in a band setting it doesn't really work. In a relationship setting it doesn't work. Well a, a record producer isn't a band and it isn't a relationship. It's just telling people what to do. So I I I, I think that is a good turn for his character. Okay, that's
1: that's a fair point. That that is a fair point. I only have one more thing that didn't really work. I don't like it when TB player goes MIA. I don't I find that especially with how like I think that would have been too big a deal for him to have thrown it away to go to Disney- Disneyland with some Marines. He wasn't... The guy was a little aloof, yeah. I guess, but I feel like that's not something that you skip.
2: He wasn't stupid. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and the only thing that holds back the Hollywood television showcase performance from being the scene of the movie is the fact that Wolfman is standing there, and it's just kind of... You know, when, when your eyes go to him, you're like, well, that's not the band, and... I know that's the emotion they're trying to convey, but that doesn't work as much for me. I would have liked to see TB player get that moment.
1: Imagine being Wolfman and one day you get you get substituted into this miraculous lineup, this band is just hot as shit, and you're like, wow, I just I just got this amazing gig, and then the next day it's over because the front man's a dick.
2: The one thing that didn't work for me was uh in that scene, if you remember, I mean, Steve Zahn's character is Lenny. He's Lenny throughout the movie. And when they're showing when they're doing the close-ups, they do uh, Shades. There's a good-looking guy. They do Jimmy. Careful, girl, he's engaged. They do Wolfman too fast, and they show Lenny, and his name on the screen is Leo. Well, who decided to call him Leo? It
1: might be a Mister White thing. It's a version of Shade Mister. Like that could have been a quick deleted scene of Mister White being like, Nah, we we don't like Lenny. Let's go with Leo."
2: Okay, that that might work. I don't remember if that was in the deleted scenes, but that, that I, don't think, I don't think
1: I don't think it was. But that's how I'm going to justify that in my
2: head. That that didn't work for me.
1: I also don't get why Chad, the drummer with the broken arm, is watching this with Guy's family. I get that he's working there now, but it's like Wally Pipp sitting with Lou Gehrig's parents at Yankee games.
2: I just always thought that that uh, Chad ended up with with Guy's sister, like they're like dating at this point.
1: I think there's some, that's another role too. That's Giovanni Urbisi. like that's another just above average actor in a very small role in this mm-hmm. one.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then they go on him and Hanks go on to work together in um, Saving Private Ryan. Sure do. Which I think is the next year. I think Saving Pride Ryan was ninety seven.
2: No, Saving Pride Ryan was ninety eight and this was ninety six.
1: Ninety eight. Okay. Okay. So let's go to a, a tough category to pick. Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for best supporting character. I think every role is pretty expertly cast. Uh I a lot of this is if you consider Zahn a supporting character.
2: No, he's not.
1: Okay. If you're I in the had... band
2: if you're in the band in this movie, I don't think you're a supporting character. Do you consider Hanks a supporting character? I don't. I I think he's in the band, so to speak. Okay, who are your who are your picks? So I got I got four to choose from, and then I'll choose make my choice. So I think uh, Guy's dad is is up there. He, Holmes Osborne. He played is, by uh, Holmes Osborne. Fantastic. Every line he delivers is he's funny, but he's also right. I mean, I, just, I I just his dad's great. Lamar, the guy who's in charge of the bellhops at the hotel in L.A. Those are my top two picks. Um, he, every line, he's another wise, you know, he's just a wise person. And he he notices things. He pushes guy in the direction of Faye. He's he's very good. Uh, Freddie Fredrickson is somebody that I like a lot. Um, you can tell he kind of likes these kids. He introduces them in Wisconsin. He introduces himself. I love his song, Mr. Downtown. I just think he looks legit. And Del Paxton. Del Paxton, guy's hero. Uh, played by, who's the actor that plays him?
1: Bill Cobbs.
2: Yeah, Bill Cobbs. And and he just, he strikes the right chords. He just, you can tell, he looks like a guy who's been around music. He looks like a guy who knows what he's doing. If I had to choose, it comes down to Dad Lamar. I'd like to know who you choose first.
1: So, just to, to shout out Bill Cobbs, he does a great job, I wrote this down, of playing the coolest dude in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't have to try, like, he's just, it's like one of those old, cool jazz guys. Like, he... Yeah that that came off well. Well, when they shoot uh, him,
2: when they when they when they present him in the shot for the first time, he is in the middle of a table of jazz musicians and they're all looking at him.
1: Yeah, he's holding court. Yeah. Which is which is a clear like this guy in a room of talented people, this guy is the most talented and he's the coolest. So, for me, though it you it comes down to guy's dad and Lamar, who is play a name that I am just I'm gonna butcher it's, it's, Abba, it's
2: like something about Abatunde or something. Abba
1: Babatunde, I yes. don't know, but he's great. And it, it's kind of two different things. Guy's dad is almost specifically comic relief. That is the that's the whole priority. Lamar, on the other hand, is kind of operating as like Guy's fairy godfather in so a sense. He's here, just this all knowing guy.
2: Here's my here's my thesis. They're the same character. Interesting. So he guy guy's dad is guy's dad in in erie and when uh when he goes out to l a Lamar is guy's dad l- Lamar is guy's cooler dad, yeah he's his cooler dad, but he is when he gets to l a that's absolutely his father figure that's absolutely- he he literally pushes him in the back towards his future wife
1: that that's a great part for Lamar, but I think you already mentioned his best part when he sends him sends him to the you know he asks him the question and he's like take this man to the blue spot yeah and I then he, he
2: kind of does a little uh, drum beat on the car. Uh, get in the cab. I just love the way he delivers that line. It's with so much conviction. I feel good about uh, about picking Lamar
1: as the Lenny Harris. You take Lamar, I'll character. take the
2: dad. Because, uh, again, the dad saying with the newspaper and, and saying, I don't think you should have to be open on Sundays and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And he's complaining under his breath when he has to go turn the light off. He's just, he's just great.
1: Yeah, they're, they're both deserving of recognition. And we
2: didn't even mention you didn't even mention Boss Vic Koss, We didn't mention uh, a couple of other guys.
1: We didn't even we didn't even really mention Oscar winner Charlize Theron. No, who's well, he does, not really given a whole lot to do. She's not
2: given a whole lot to do. We didn't mention the uh, the the fan at the beginning. Um, it's just it, yeah, it's just a lot to pick from there. But I'm taking the dad. You got Lamar. I think we got two top draft picks.
1: I think so too. Let's get to the big moment. Now, on a typical episode, I I call this the big chill. This might still be called the big chill. We're working through things here. We're figuring this out as we go. Every good sports movie has a big chill moment. It's like when Roy Hobbs knocks out the light in the natural, Mike Rizzioni scores the goal in Miracle. You know, that moment that makes the hair on the back of your neck stands up. In non-sports movies, the chills don't always happen, so it's just kind of the big moment of the movie, the thing you're looking for. I've got a couple nominees. One is the song coming on the radio, specifically yeah. when they're all like jumping around in a circle. Yeah. That's great. Um, when Mr. White tells them they've got the number seven record in the country and they're headed to L.A., that run to the car. Yeah. that That's a great moment. Um, the Hollywood Showcase performance just kind of in its, like when they get to the final hook, I think, when like that's happening. Yeah. Um, Dell asking guy, can I jam with you a bit? Cause for mm-hmm. me, that's like, if Joe Maurer came up and was like, Hey man, can we play catch? Yeah. Like my body would go numb. And then guy and Faye getting together. I'd feel weird not including it.
2: So I would add Freddie Frederickson's intro in Wisconsin.
1: That's there's, a good one. There's
2: an, in, there's an energy in that scene when Diane Dane walks off. Yeah, look at that. That's a gold dress, like a Wisconsin sunrise and the wonders walk out and there's just, they they did the atmosphere with the crowd rising and, and just getting absolutely batshit crazy for these guys. And he, he can feel it. And Freddie's playing into it. He, he puts his sunglasses on. And he had never done that. Nobody'd ever done that. He said, here it is, Wisconsin. He puts his sunglasses on. It's the wonders. And they have all of a sudden they got backup dancers. And just that performance, to me, gives me chills every time I see it. So is that your pick? I'm picking that or. Or the Hollywood Television Showcase. And I think I like that one more. Because it ends on a positive note.
1: That's true. That's true. The Hollywood Television Showcase then rolls into There's,
2: there's a also a scene day. that I don't know that... It doesn't fit this category, but we haven't mentioned it at all. But it is the scene where Lenny has is singing the song and Jimmy's the backup. And it's Dance With Me Tonight. And they're in Illinois. And they're in the middle. They're like on this stage. It's a round stage and they got fans all around them. It's like they're in a big gym. It's like they're in a big gym, and Mr. White, when they hit the big note, he does this kind of—I uh, don't know—Kirk Gibson like home run celebration, like just, just, just real quick arm movement. I, I don't know. That always gave me chills too.
1: After that scene, my fiance like pointed out. She's like, "Would they really be a one-hit wonder? Would that song not have gotten some play?" That
2: song's a fucking banger. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, the Wonders just put out heat. We needed more Wonders. So I think what I think what it is is. They didn't release their second single.
1: That makes sense. That, because that's how, that's how things were back then. It had, it had to come out. Um, I think mine is the, the song coming on the radio from the second, like when, when it's Liv Tyler running down the street, honestly. Because you think about like back then, that was, I mean, that to them was, was probably as much as getting on TV at that point.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's just so they they kind of climb the ladder there so well. When you start with her, you add in the bass player, you add in guy, and then when Lenny and and Jimmy drive up and stop the car in the middle of the street and run in, that's yeah, you're right. That's a great chills moment too. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, let's get into the
1: finishing up with with how to improve it. With great movies, there's not really a whole lot. I I wrote two like question things. I'm not even sure this would improve it. The first thing I wrote was, "Do you ditch the Tina character, the the Charlize character?" But I think the one thing I think that helps is it shows that guy is very in demand. He has a very attractive girlfriend. So I think no, that helps I, for think, cool it, guy I think it
2: helps start the. I think it helps start the guy Faye storyline because you can tell Faye isn't approving of her at all. That's a, yeah, that's a good point too. And and I don't remember when she she asked him you know tina she wasn't right for you something like that i don't remember that's, if that's at the in very the end. uh isn't
1: that at the end when they're in they're still in the like, oh the they're in the, they're at the, the, cafe, the bar at the there in the cafe yeah yeah
2: yeah so so you can tell faye's been chewing on that for a while though
1: oh yeah yeah probably from the second that they met i think they met at the talent
2: show yeah i think she pl- i think tina helps plant the seed of guy and faye Besides that,
1: I don't think I have anything. I put a note about should Jimmy be even a bit redeemable, but I I don't think so. I think he's got to be a big piece of shit.
2: I, I, if I can improve this movie, I would just put a little more meat on the bone. I would just, I would just put a little more. I think you're about, you're probably two or three scenes short of what could have been an even better movie. That's fair. I, I think the guy, the, the Mr. White, Howie Long scene should be in this movie. I, I guess because in 96, you, you didn't want, because if, if you make him a, a, a gay character, maybe it just becomes about that. And in 96, Tom Hanks didn't want it to be about that. I don't know. I don't know why he would keep that out. But in 2020, that character is absolutely in the movie. And that scene's in the movie. And I think it's better for it.
1: Well, that's perfect fodder for our, the perfect transition for our last Last category, Before More Restore, would you rather see a prequel, sequel, or a remake? I, I'm going to come out and say, I think this one is perfect. I don't want it touched, because it's kind of like a, a hit song. It's a perfect formula. And you really have two options if you remake it. You either have to use the same exact song, or you try to find another hit song, and I think you're taking a big risk trying to do either.
2: I don't think you can remake it. I don't think you can remake it at all. I don't think you can do a prequel. Your only option is sequel and i do think they wrote the way they wrote the end of the movie there's their sequel fodder there i mean guy and Faye create a music a music conservatory they they create a music school jimmy is a record producer there's there's something you can write there that makes sense i don't want them to do it but of those three choices sequel is the only choice you can do I think I'd
1: rather see a Netflix series about
2: Lenny managing a casino. I think that'd be more fun. Yeah, that would work. I in in fact, if you were gonna remake it, you could retell this story in a Netflix series. I don't think you can do it in a movie. I, I you're gonna you're gonna ruin it if you try to do it again because a Netflix series would be less dependent on the song being good. Yeah, yeah, but you yeah
1: you just can't. You have to at least have a decent song at the heart of but this, otherwise, if you
2: remake otherwise, it. The, your first instinct's right. I don't think you can touch this movie. Mm. I, I think what... All I would like to see this movie is for it to get its just due. I would like for this movie to be looked at as one of the great movies of the last 30 years. It's not looked at like that, but it absolutely should be. And I think that goes back to
1: what we were talking about, about it not getting a cable run. And I don't know if that's a a production company thing of maybe... I I find it impossible to believe that nothing has... has, no one has tried to get this on cable at some point, because it is a perfect cable movie. You don't lose a thing if this goes on cable.
2: I think it's a victim of Tom Hanks' success in the 90s. He was on a run of epics. He wasn't on a run of good movies. He was on a run of Oscar-winning epics. He did Philadelphia, where he won an Oscar, I think. Then he did uh, Forrest Gump in 94. In 98, he would do Saving Private Ryan. In 99 or 2000, he would do Castaway. It's just had these big, sweeping, epic performances. And in the middle of all that, it's just this little kind of art house project for him where I think people looked at it as just a little side project for him and didn't look at it the way it should have been looked at. And it's funny
1: because this is the easiest, we, we talked about this, but it's the easiest watch of any Hanks movie. Like Forrest Gump's on TBS all the time. And you think of it as that Forrest Gump is this precious soul and life is like a box of chocolates. But like, I don't always want to watch Bubba dying in Vietnam. No, it's a That's slog. not always my speed.
2: It's And it's a little long. It's it's a slog. You've got to commit yourself to it. Whereas this is pick up and play.
1: Exactly. I mean, it, it's two hours, and it's it's great. When we when we did our rewatch the other night, we finished it. We were like, this movie just flies by. It flies um, by. It, it's you, a you fantastic get into one. it
2: And you're at the Hollywood Television Showcase before you know it.
1: Exactly. Well, Brandon, I appreciate you coming on this podcast, taking the time to th- to uh, talk that thing you do. You're welcome back whenever. Tell the folks again where they can follow you.
2: So I'm at B Walker SEC on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at BarstoolSports.com. You know, kind of kind of a monster these days. Uh, I have walked the line—a gambling show, a sports show. I have—I'm on a bunch of shows. Just barstoolsports.com at B. Walker SEC. This has been a thrill. I don't usually get to just open up and talk like this without you know putting on a performance. This has been amazing.
1: Well, you are welcome back whenever. If you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember subscribe wherever you get, wherever you get your podcast rate, leave, review. We will be back next Monday and every Monday with another sports movie. Also, if you're a baseball fan, please go to Baseball America. Check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm, talking to former high school signees about that experience in pro ball. Until then, we'll see you next Monday. Thanks.